0: This episode is brought to you by Vinsmart. Need help with your recall campaigns? DMVs, government agencies, fleet owners can learn more by visiting vinsmart.com slash businesses or call 1-888-950-9550. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Hello
1: everyone, welcome back to the Amvacast. This week, we're going to be taking a little dive and case study into one of our jurisdiction members' efforts around diversity and inclusion, uh, particularly as it relates to workforce development, recruitment, retention, and culture. And to talk to us this week, I am pleased to welcome Teresa Bernstein, the Director of the Washington State Department of Licensing. Teresa, welcome to your first appearance on our Amvacast.
0: Thanks, Ian. Thanks for having me.
1: So this. Topic of uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion is certainly one that um, has really grown in prominence very, very quickly in the last couple of years. It's not a new topic for many, but it seems to very quickly went from a very specific topic, if you will, to really being integrated into so much more of our workplace culture, um, strategic management type conversations. But I think one of the reasons why we were excited to talk to you is it's it's not as new. For you in Washington and at, at the DOL, it's something that you've been focused on and speaking about for, for a while now. Is that correct? That's right. So to, tell me the origin of that. How? Why is that? Where, where was it? You know, you've you've now been with um, the agency um, for what, about three years now. You've been the director in in Washington.
0: Yeah, a little over three. Yes.
1: So tell me, let's use that as kind of that uh, reference in time. What was the conversation when you arrived three years ago and how has it grown since then?
0: Absolutely. So um, when I joined the agency about three and a half years ago, uh, COVID time, so it's hard to tell, (laughs) right? There was just an acknowledgement by our governor and by me, uh, a very simple fact that we serve every single Washington resident. So for us, that means about 7 million people. And like most states, um, we are a diverse state. We're a diverse country, right? So in Washington, one in seven of us is an immigrant. Mm. I'm the daughter of a US immigrant, right? So a diversity is a fact um, of the people we serve. And to me, it's really a quite practical. It's not simply about doing the right thing, so to speak. We have a very distinct business case for this. So we all are in this business of safe drivers and vehicles, right? Mm -hmm. Um, We want every qualified person, the person who's qualified to receive a driver's license to get one. And there's many reasons for that, not the least of which it's a key to participating in society, right? But it's also that we have a lot of good information to know that people have to drive, Mm -hmm. whether or not they're able to receive a license. There's many reasons for that, right? they got to get to work, get their kids to school. Mm-hmm. And there's a ton of data to show what happens when people drive without a license. It's not great for traffic safety. So that's just one example, Ian, where um, equity and inclusion is a distinct part of just what we do on a daily basis.
1: Yeah. And and I think that, you know, that's a, it's an interesting point that I think is somewhat special and unique to the motor vehicle administration community, where regardless of what part of North America you you are in, you are catering to everybody. It is, you know, um, everyone that is coming through those doors is of all those backgrounds and more. Um, What's interesting when I hear you talk about the demographics in Washington state, clearly that also then is true within your workforce. Certainly all states are catering to all their customers. But you know, talk to me about what that culture is in recognizing the diversity within the workforce, specifically at DOL.
0: Absolutely, so you just hit the nail on the head. <laughs> if, we, if we want to provide equitable access to great service, we want our employees to represent our customers. Mm-hmm. It's really that simple. I'm talking um, racially, uh, ethnicity, experience, age, language. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're striving for. And is that something that you measure at DOL? We do. Um, And part of measuring that was to get a baseline of who our customers are. Mm -hmm. It's hard to understand if your employees represent your customers, if you don't know who your customers are. Mm -hmm. So we do measure.
1: To talk to, I think some of the folks who are listening will be curious about how, you know, let's dive a little deeper, how you measure what those metrics look like. You know, a lot of things the administrators always trying to share with each other are different measurement tools and what you do with that and data
0: dashboards and all those types of things. So give us a little glimpse behind the curtain, if you will. Certainly. So uh, one of the first things we did was to define service areas. So I'm going to go back to driver licensing. In this state, we got 55 driver licensing offices, and we pretty much know who we draw from across the state, right? And there's overlapping areas. Mm -hmm. So then, my amazing smart data people did a lot of research to identify who, what are the demographics of these people? Lots of data available from a lot of sources. So, again, we're talking race, ethnicity, language spoken in the home. if English is primary language or not, and things that extend beyond diversity, equity, and inclusion, such as age, right, mm. which is very relevant to what we do, access to internet, which is relevant to what we do. So that was our first endeavor: to really understand who our customers are. Right? We revamped our strat plan, our strategic plan, mm. to then have a goal of providing equitable access to great service. Sounds great. So how do you do that? And I'm going to be honest, in the development of our metrics and performance measures, we were well on our way. And this little thing called COVID hit. So we are a bit strategic planning interrupted. Mm. And I suspect that is true of a lot of state organizations. So we um, are trying as we hopefully emerge from this pandemic, we have revamped our efforts to just simply define how do we measure success? Hmm. One success measure or indicator is, do our employees represent the people we serve? We know we have room to grow. We haven't developed our targets. We're working on that.
1: And even while you're developing your targets, I I believe you, you have started to shift the approach of recruitment and hiring. So even though you don't necessarily know all those targets you're trying to hit, you haven't waited to set those targets to proactively change how you want to further increase the diversity and, and inclusion. That's right. So tell, tell us about some of those efforts in terms of uh, recruitment and hiring and how you've started to shift your initiatives to be more mindful of diversity and inclusion there.
0: Absolutely. So we basically have a six-point plan. Which sounds compliment, uh, Excuse me, complicated, but it's actually quite intuitive. Mm-hmm. So uh, the first one is what we already talked about, Ian, which is know your customers, okay? mm-hmm. and then you really need to think hard about core competencies and requirements for who you're recruiting for. And I really believe this is a just a good business strategy to take a step back and rethink who do we want working for us. Mm-hmm who represents uh, the culture of our organization. Mm. I can speak um, firsthand having been in state government 31 years. It's very tempting to basically recruit for the person who's already done the job you're recruiting for. Mm. So our challenge to ourselves has been to take a step back and think about the characteristics and traits of the person we are looking for, rather than X years of X. Right. So that's been a large challenge to ourselves. That's a that's uh, a
1: hard shift because you know you yes. I, so traditionally and this is not just for it's not sorry for just dmvs not just for state government it's really anytime you're hiring for position the first thing so many hiring managers look for is do you have experience in x? right? Fill in the blank, you know, are you, do you have the skills? Do you have the background? Are you experienced? And, you know, what I hear you saying is you're, you're hiring for traits and you'll train for those skills and you'll give them that experience.
0: Precisely, precisely. I mean, people are basically smart, right? And motivated and we can teach them all kinds of things, Mm. right? Um, What is harder is to set out characteristics and culture. You want somebody coming into your organization who wants to be in your organization.
1: Mm-hmm. And so how is that, how's that working? Is it, is it harder? I imagine it's harder to find candidates. That's got to, you know, it's a non-traditional recruitment strategy. Uh, have you found it a struggle to find candidates
0: and to go through recruitment processes with that mindset? Um, so I'll tell you what we've had success at and what we're still struggling with. Mm-hmm. So, It is more heavy upfront work, I would say. So you are writing a job announcement that is less specific than what you're used to, Mm -hmm. that is much more descriptive of your organization as it really is, right? Mm -hmm. Then you have to cast a really wide net. This notion that you build it and they will come, that you're gonna hire Motivated candidates by finding your government website, right? I think is an outdated notion. Mm-hmm. So getting out into the communities virtually more than ever during COVID, um, pre-COVID, and hopefully after, you know, things like community fairs, um, recruitments, um, job fairs, etc., community colleges, technical colleges, whatnot. Um, you're going just to cast a wider net. So one of the things that has worked best for us is I, some of the best hires we've made in the last couple of years have been people who said, I literally didn't know I was looking for another job until I ran across your recruitment announcement and this is the job I want. There are a few places where we're still really struggling. One is to cast that wide net, especially in a COVID environment where everything is virtual. That's universal about everything we do. Uh, and the other thing we're struggling with is when you cast a wide net, guess what? It's more work when you get more candidates, isn't it? Right? so more sift
1: through. Yeah.
0: That's right. But I think we all know the investment it takes to recruit, hire, and train an employee. Mm-hmm. And the cost if we don't do it right.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and you talk about, you know, casting that wide net, and it's, it's the, the opposite side of the coin of you can't just hope people are going to find you by going to your, to your, your website. Um, I think it's also a challenge in that when, you, when you're looking for someone with characteristics and traits, but may not have the traditional experience, how do you even know where to look, right? where I mean, you, you use the phrase casting a wide net. But how do you even know what what direction to throw that net in? And what what does that look like? Have you what have you learned in that process in terms of, you know, being able to define that that universe beyond, you know, going to the fairs and kind of trying to be more visible in the community? Have you discovered there are some websites are better than others, some communities have better existing networks that you've been able to tap
0: into anything of that nature. So a a couple of responses to that. A wide net is just that, a wide net. (laughs) You are exactly right. When you are looking for the right person, so to speak, Mm -hmm. there is really not an association of right people, right? (laughs) Right? So you are are casting a wider net and hope that your job description provides enough clarity and that your process provides enough clarity to get to the essence of what you're looking for. The other thing though is, is to be creative. Right. So if you're if you're looking for um, people to do customer service, what are organizations out there that do customer service already? Mm-hmm. But it may not be the traditional way that you think of, and it may not be government employees.
1: Mm. And you know, not government employees though. We we all know that the competing with private sector customer service, you know, sometimes is a challenge for government. Um, have you found you know? you're able to compete with folks looking or leaving the private sector, or is it still some of the more traditional stereotypes that it's hard for the public sector to compete with the private sector for top talent?
0: You know, I think that's true, but I think that's changing. Mm -hmm. And I think COVID has changed that a lot. Mm. Um, Traditionally speaking before COVID, one of the things that we um, have heard is that private sector is more apt to allow more telework. More flex hours, right? Well, that changed by necessity. Yeah. And I think we've discovered the art of the possible. We've discovered the thing we can do things remotely, not everything. Sure. Not everything can be done remotely and not everything can be done remotely optimally. But there are more things than ever. So, oh, right. So not losing that possibility, I think gives us a distinct edge. I also just think a lot is culture. There's a lot to be said about um, the next generation coming behind me and others. Uh, they want to do meaningful work that matters, that matters to people. Mm-hmm. So if they can see themselves in that job announcement making a difference to real live humans, that's an attraction.
1: Mm-hmm. So when we talk about culture, you know, one of the things, this shift for how you recruit and how you hire, I've no doubt you have many hiring managers that are veterans of the agency. Yes. How how is their reaction to shifting that approach to saying, "Hey, you don't need to go hire someone that's already done this job for ten years. Let's find the right person, and we'll teach them how to do it for the next ten years." Uh, as a newer leader in the in the department, how how is that message received and internalized? Yes,
0: I. I was surprised. At first, I was expecting a lot of nervousness. Mm-hmm. I will tell you, in the reaction we got was, "It's about time," mm. right? Because these um, hiring managers and supervisors do just that. They are living in the day-to-day real world of running a complex organization with human beings. Yeah. And again, so knowing from the get-go that that person is has the traits and attributes that we're looking for and wants to be there um, mm-hmm. is a again a front heavy investment that's well worth
1: it so let's move away a little bit from the recruiting and hiring side of it and, and let's talk about um, diversity and inclusion initiatives just with within the existing team and staff at, at DOL um, what have been some of the key initiatives that you've Really try to tackle the last few years to embrace institutionalize these concepts of diversity and inclusion. Not necessarily just with recruiting, but hey, your most of the staff is already there. <laughs> right. and
0: how to make that more of the,
1: more of the dialogue and more present?
0: Right. Well, the first thing is something we've already talked about, which is to develop the business case. Yeah, rather than me waltzing in and saying this is important, right? Mm-hmm. That's not change management. Uh, explaining to staff why, you know, this is important. Somebody once said to me, uh, "said to me, diversity is a fact, equity is an act, right? So this is something we have to do proactively in order to meet our basic mission, mm-hmm. which includes safe drivers, safe vehicles." Mm-hmm. So that was the first part. Then providing people the skills we're not born knowing a lot of this stuff right you can't just set out an expectation you have to provide employees not only the training but the grace and the space to learn Mm. so that was a large part of it
1: tell me about the training what type of training did you bring into the, the organization for this
0: Certainly, so we did a lot of you know, uh, acronyms or everything in government. We did a lot of DEI training, diversity, equity, inclusion training. So this is ran from everything from just basic awareness of who we serve, why does that matter, um, to things that are harder, frankly, and like implicit bias. What does that mean? We all have it. It doesn't mean we're bad. It's how the human brain works. What are the assumptions we all make? How can we not assume things and ask questions? And then it goes to more tangible business day-to-day things like how do we ensure we have proper language access services? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How do we sure? Uh, excuse me. Ensure our employees look like the people we serve. Again,
1: and I imagine you know having experienced some of those directly myself. You know, I think it's it's fair to say, and anyone listening would relate to this. Um, you can really start to have some very honest but challenging conversations as folks really, if they you know really start talking about um, implicit bias or those that have um, experienced not being included and hearing those stories. For those that haven't heard that or experienced it, um, it can be emotional, for lack of a, of a better word. Um, have you had? Has that
0: been part of the, the journey for DOL? Absolutely. It yeah. can be scary. It can be intimidating and comfortable and emotional. And I have experienced all of those things on my journey. Yeah. So a, a couple of things, um, and really these are my own lessons, is one that I'm learning to sit with some discomfort, mm. right? Learning to be curious and really just know your intent, right? So I'm not making assumptions, asking questions, being willing to be a little bit vulnerable. And frankly, I think that is something that we as public servants do. So acknowledging that's kind of part of our daily life and that that exists in this realm is one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Not expecting each other to know what we don't know is one. Um, Acknowledging this is just how the human brain works, Mm -hmm. right? This is neuroscience. Mm -hmm. We all have biases and blind spots. It is just brain science. It does not mean we are bad people. It doesn't mean anything. It is simply an acknowledgement of how we can remove barriers. And then I've tried very hard to explain to my staff that these barriers that we want to avoid and break down are really not barriers we purposely put up. I highly doubt any of my staff sit around saying, how can we make sure somebody can't access our service, Mm -hmm. right? I have amazing, beautiful, motivated employees, right? But we are an entity and barriers can exist. And I'll, I'll give you one example. Several years ago, we decided that for the flow in our driver licensing offices, it would be really great to have greeters. Right. Mm -hmm. Why make someone sit in a line just to realize they didn't have the right paper? Right. Right. Wonderful, beautiful concept. Right. Those greeters, we did not equip with mobile devices to be able to access language access. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, so there we have a greeter trying to basically triage a customer who unlike the person they'll eventually get to at the counter doesn't have access to a translator that was not on purpose and it certainly was not my employees fault it was simply something we didn't think about so guess what we thought about it we thought about these things called mobile phones and we gave them to them Mm -hmm. and now they can access language access
1: Mm. so that person that comes in with a primary language that's not English rather than feeling excluded from that first engagement with the agency, right? That would have been the otherwise experience is I'm now walking to the state agency who I cannot interact with. Exactly. Now as the opportunity right from the beginning to feel included. I mean, it's, it did, it, you know, it's like you said at the beginning, some of it is, can be as simple as it sounds. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's
0: right. So, so what's next? Where do you go from here? Right, Um, so again, we have a lot of work to do. So it's great to have a strategic plan with goals. You got to have metrics and measurables. Mm -hmm. And I know that can sound really bureaucratic and even intimidating to our employees, but it's you have to have an indicator if you're reaching your goal or if you're making progress. And I think deep down employees want to know that. So we're actively working on, and we're trying to make these metrics and measures outcome-based rather than how many widgets did you push through, right? So we have some really smart people working on that. That um, is going to drive a huge body of work. Mm -hmm. Because when you start defining success for yourself, guess what? It changes your behavior. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, we have yet to discover this body of work completely, but it's probably going to involve things like even better recruitment efforts, different training, maybe not more training, maybe it's a different. Mm-hmm. It's probably gonna involve a lot of policy work, mm-hmm. right? I think so much of what we do every day as regulatory entities um, that influence people's lives, we're not necessarily seeing those as policies. They're just things we do. Yeah. But when you take a big step back, and you're controlling whether or not somebody can receive a service that is the key to society, access in society, it's a pretty big deal. Yeah. So making sure our policies are known, understandable, and equitable is also a huge effort. Modernization, you know, we've discovered again another art of the possible with COVID. We were so heavily brick and mortar. Pre-COVID, um, over 70% of our driver licenses transactions were in person. And guess what? In a global pandemic, that don't work so well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we're discovering that on one hand, technology can be a great eliminator of barriers and acknowledging that not everyone has access to it. Mm -hmm. So the more that people who do have access to the Internet can conduct their transaction and can actually do it because our website is understandable and accessible, that frees up our appointments for the in-person services for those that really need in-person.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So I know you're doing work on the, the metrics and kind of figuring out what success looks like. And when you talk about it being an outcome-based, uh, it almost seems like this is one where you're, n- you're never gonna fully reach the goal because it's kind of that ongoing improving the, you know, the sense of culture and excellence in the culture. And so it's not not only is it not a widget you can count, but even the outcome is not a finite one. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So if you try to keep your eyes on the prize, you can look at things like traffic safety, right? Uh, A big measure that is a challenge is how people feel when they leave a transaction with us. Hmm. Did they complete the transaction? And when I mean complete, I want to be clear. It doesn't mean we issue the credential. Sometimes Ian, completing a transaction means denying something. Sure. right? And we can do that with dignity and respect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and with having that person learn what he or she may need to do to then reapply. Right. So that's one aspect. Um, Another aspect is just making sure every customer leaves our office or a transaction, whether that's online, in person, on the phone, feeling treated with dignity and respect. Mm. And I know that sounds um, squishy, but I think it's important because as most DMVs, so to speak, we are the face of state government. We are literally the face of state government and for a state like Washington has so much in and out migration. We are often the face of the state for somebody because when they move to Washington, guess who they deal with almost first. So it is more than just a touchy feeling thing. It is wanting people to not be afraid to come to our offices, to leave a state government and service feeling treated, dignity, respect, even if that means they didn't get exactly what they want.
1: And I guess, and this is a good place maybe for us to wrap up is, that idea if you're the face of the state, for anyone in that state to see themselves in that face. Exactly. Well, Teresa, thanks for chatting with us today and giving us a little sense of what you're working on in Washington. It's been great to have you on the, the podcast for the first time. Um, and it's great to, even though no one else could see you, it's great for me to see you because I haven't seen you in, in, in a while though. So we, it's great to see each other here, uh, at least on the screen.
0: Thank you. And that day will come. Thanks for the opportunity. Yes.
1: All right. Thank you all for tuning in this week. Uh, Appreciate you being here. Thanks to our producers, Claire, Jeffrey, and Chelsea Hadwin. And until next week, everyone stay well.
0: Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Recall Buzz powered by Vinsmart. Visit us at anvicast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.